And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lord, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. Welcome. I'm Tom Laurie, and I'll be your host today. Thank you for joining us. Today, our guest mentor is John Phelan, CEO and founder of Argus Insights and a design and engineering teacher at Nueva School here in the Bay Area. Argus is an analytics firm that provides clients with key insights on the adoption of their new products, as well as warnings on emerging competitive threats. The Nueva School is a private K-12 student-centered school known for its distinctive inquiry-based interdisciplinary project-based studies. It is a leader in the education of gifted students, inspiring passion for lifelong learning, fostering social and emotional acuity, and developing each student's imaginative mind. And we'll talk later in the show about Nueva and the work that John is doing there. He has a Ph.D. in mechanical engineering from Stanford, and he did his undergraduate work at MIT. Welcome, John. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Thank you for um, spending some time with us today. And I'd, let's get started on big data and data analytics and what Argus contributes to a company's understanding of markets. Now, in one of the posts that you have, you, you noted that uh, Nokia ignored the threat of Apple's iPhone. And I'm assuming that uh, Argus and the kinds of things you do could have warned them about that in some way. Could have, except at the time I was at the uh, ground level of all that. I was actually working for a touchscreen manufacturer, Synaptics, trying to help Nokia make sense of the threat to Apple. And part of the reason I started Argus was working with Nokia for uh, a number of years to have them adopt touchscreens to compete against the iPhone and realizing after they persisted for literally multiple years, like, oh, no, no, Apple's not a threat to our business. Like, how are you measuring that? What are you paying attention to? Oh, we survey our customers. There seem to be fewer every quarter that take the survey. And we read all the market research reports from big dogs like Gartner and Forrester, and they say that Apple's not a threat to our business. I'm like, wait a minute. What about the actual consumers, people who are buying and using these devices and, and talking about it in a social way that's driving adoption for, for Apple? Oh, I don't want to look at that at all. I'm like, huh, there's got to be a better way. And that's when I started Argus Insights. And then if Argus were around and they had used you at that time, what, what would you have done? What, how does Argus work? So basically we collect uh, the consumer conversations around new experiences from consumer reviews and social media. And we each, each source of data based on how much we kind of trust or how valid we believe that information is for driving towards actual use. Social media is really good for looking at aspiration, a little bit around use. And review data is what we all actually day-to-day -day use to drive our own purchase decisions. So by looking at the both quantitative trends and the qualitative stories that people tell, you can pull a lot about what's winning and losing the hearts and minds and wallets of consumers across markets. So you're sourcing this information from the net. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So curating, scraping, pulling in. We have basically a giant data vacuum that pulls this in. 
and in a kind of human and computer combined way, puts it in the right buckets for further analysis to help us understand uh, how different iPhones are doing in different countries or uh, whether um, Alexa is doing better than Google Home versus uh, Apple HomePod, all by listing the stories that consumers are telling each other to help drive their own purchase decisions. And some of this is qualitative, or a lot of it's qualitative, I imagine. A lot of it's stories that people tell, yes. Then yes. How, how do you, I mean, I, I can't imagine with all the different stories that are being aggregated by Argus, do you have some kind of an algorithm that picks out words? I, I mean, do. How, do you, how do you get through all of that? So one of the things we found along the way, when we first started, I was using some of the more traditional off-the-shelf uh, natural language processing tools that people use today to look at big data and found that they were good to get us to that first order. What are they talking about? Phones. Well, I knew that. They're all smartphone reviews. What are they talking about? Smart speakers. Well, I know. It's all the Alexa data. And realized that uh, we need to build our own tools, our own algorithms to kind of pull out that sense-making, partly because each category, users create their own language, companies create their own language to talk about it. Um, what uh, talk, How people talk about their experience with a smartphone is different than with a laptop that's different with a diaper. Um, turns out coverage is important for smartphones and diapers both, but they use the language very differently. And um, as a result, we created our own kind of um, uh, sentiment tools and uh, sense-making tools that calls through the data. And not only it looks for things that we know to be trends, but also f- helps us figure out where the models don't fit so we can discover new reasons to, as consumers are talking about it. Um, I'll give a quick example. We looked at uh, security cameras for the Embedded Vision Alliance. And one of the um, use cases that came out of it was actually people watching their pets from work above, huh. you know, uh, watching their homes or caring for their aging parents. It was uh, watching their cats and dogs from the home uh, from work. And that was before companies like PetCube came out with specific pet security cameras. And so you see users driving new experiences from that all the time. Sounds a little bit like Clayton Christensen's work. Not the same. He didn't get the information the same way, but he's no. the one that figured out that people get a milkshake at McDonald's in the morning. Yes. To supplement their be a meal for them and to actually replace a meal that they would have. Yeah, Christensen's point of view around jobs to be done and how the milkshake fills that gap on your commute uh, is a great way of of how do you listen to what consumers are are telling you about their experiences rather than asking them to validate what you believe. Now, you talk also about curing bl- brand blindness, and in that I, I saw a little uh, uh, post about uh, general lipstick versus all the branded lipsticks. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. So one of the things we got pulled to with customers is that as you dig more into the consumer experiences, they start t- asking you to move upstream in the marketing conversations. And as people have been adopting the use of social media to, to drive awareness, consideration, intent, all those different stages of the marketing funnel – it's really been a story around how are they spending that time and what are they paying attention to. Because I come at this from a design thinking point of view, it starts with the consumer first. How do you listen to what they're doing? And we were asked by uh, L'Oreal to look at um, mentions of uh, lipstick brands across Twitter. One of the things we found was that for every mention of a specific brand of lipstick, L'Oreal, uh, uh, L'Oreal Maybelline, MAC, etc., there were a hundred other mentions of lipstick in general. They were so focused on only people talking about their brand, they missed the generic trends of lipstick that was actually really driving the market conversation. They didn't listen before they led, and they were just being a loud brand instead. Do they talk about price as well, or do they just talk about more generally about the brand? Sometimes it's, it's price. I mean, that's the, uh, the weird economic indicator of lipstick. It's uh, lipstick sales go up as the economy goes down, as people make choices to buy little things to, 
to reward themselves as opposed to big things. Um, but part of it is, is things like what are trending colors, which celebrities they are paying attention to, things that are important for a brand to get in front of their target customers by having a story that shows that they're listening. Because when you have brands that roll out ad campaigns that don't pay attention to the, how the story, how the consumers want to live their own life story and so push their own, consumers start to not align with those as much. Um, for a while, I was getting uh, – Ads from a large consumer electronics company advertising back to school and how it's going to decorate my dorm room. And I haven't lived in a dorm in 30 years. And so that blindness that we have, we confuse having all the data to having the right data, especially when we look at marketing and and, uh, awareness today. Well, I'm up against a hard break. Hang on, everybody. We'll hear some more about the use of big data from analytics expert Dr. John Phelan, CEO of Argus Insights. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and today I have data analytics and design thinking expert, Dr. John Phelan, CEO of Argus Insights. In the last segment, John, you mentioned um, design thinking. What is design thinking? Well, it's, uh, it's so many different things to so many different people, but... Uh, the best way to describe it is a set of tools and methodologies that came out of Stanford University's D School as a way to help anyone pick up the tools that we used as designers uh, when I was time at IDEO or teaching at Stanford, which really is around being user-centered. How do you consider the needs and the stories of your target customer uh, before you start creating things to address uh, imagined needs. One of the challenges that we had in teaching design to engineers is that engineers are really great out of the box designing for really two people, themselves and mom, because mom loves everything we do. But when you challenge them to start thinking ahead to what the downstream customer actually needs, a lot of times they confuse their assumptions with reality. And design thinking is a set of tools and methodologies that borrows from sociology, anthropology, creativity research, et cetera, that helps you get inside the hearts and minds of your target customer and then use that to prioritize how you then uh, create solutions that ideally, going back to the Christian's comment earlier, uh, address the jobs they need to get done uh, without creating major disruptions in how they live their lives. Wow. And um, I think this is some of the work you're also doing with the uh, school uh, students at uh, Nueva. Yes. We're going to get to that in we'll a minute. We'll get to that in a minute, yes. But you also mentioned that uh, what you're doing uh, with the analytics and the work you're doing at Argus, that we have an opportunity to answer society's biggest questions. We do in many respects because of how you can listen broadly. Traditional design thinking methodologies uh, rely a lot on customer observation interviews where you put yourself in the context of the user, see what, how they live their lives, the things that they may themselves may not be aware of, and then grow from there. The challenge is that time and, and uh, budgets tend to only allow a handful of customers to be part of that process. With what we do at Argus, because we do it at scale, I have the points of view of literally millions of customers, millions of consumers talking about all aspects of their lives, which allows us to build a very robust picture of not only how does um, the consumers react to certain use case, whether it's home security, whether it's uh, fitness tracking and those of that sort, but also see how those customers build their own constellation solutions with those products in the marketplace around other aspects of their lives, too. Um, we did some work several years ago with Best Buy looking at health and fitness devices, and uh, it's an example of 
analytics meets design thinking, the merchants on the team were all high-end athletes. They all were triathletes and marathon runners and things of that sort. So when they went to put items on the shelf at Best Buy, they put things they would love. All these, they had like over 30 fitness watches on there. Well, your typical Best Buy customer is not a marathon runner. They, they're much more likely to go and get a big screen to watch the big game than to go run to get ready for the big game. And what we were able to do with the data is to show not only um, a, an assortment of products that people were excited about, but also telling them about the people that were using those, that um, smart scales were typically bought by married couples who were trying to help each other lose weight, um, that the people who were buying sleep tracking devices, this is their third or fourth uh, effort to try to find something that's so desperate to sleep, and even finding things they never considered. They, um, there was an exercise craze that was popular uh, still in many places. It is called Zumba which is effectively dance exercise. Think of it as jazzercise for, the, for this uh, millennia. And Best Buy hadn't even considered it, yet it was one of the most talked about fitness videos of all the data we looked at. Uh, and that type of discovery by listening meant that they were able to change their assortment, grow the adoption, uh, and give the, the merchants a chance to live in their customers' reality rather than just foisting their own ideas on the marketplace. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We are with data, big data analytics and design thinking expert, Dr. John Phelan. That's fascinating. So you can uncover these trends. Um, so rather than doing focus groups and asking questions, you're actually sourcing data from uh, – like crowdsourcing uh, the data and you have no idea what you're going to find. I guess no. you must – well, you must have some keywords to at least pick up some things. We tend to curate based on, on keywords or specific products being reviewed or apps being used. Uh, and we do a lot to try to clean up the bad data. Uh, there's a lot of people that folk post uh, fake reviews or paid reviews. We have some technology and some IP around how do we account for that. Um, we know that in social media there's a lot of fake accounts. One of the things we found in looking at the Internet of Things marketplace out of the – Literally millions of tweets posted a month around IoT. Over 75% of those come from fake or compromised accounts. IoT is? Internet of Things or and, Internet of Toasters, depending on your point of view. Okay. So, so it's connecting all these devices. All then. these devices. It's supposed to be the next big craze of big data and connectivity uh, as people try to – as we add intelligence to all of our items and realize that we can connect them across networks like uh, 5G and other cellular networks – what happens when our power grid becomes aware? What happens when all the cars can talk to each other about the traffic ahead? What happens when our uh, uh, utilities can now actually start to adjust power distribution across the grid because there's been a down power line over here? Let's cut the current there so fires don't start and things of that sort. Uh, industrial automation, um, most aircraft are now actually Internet of Things devices people don't think about. Um, as we try to bring that data back and make sense of it, try to get ahead of problems before they happen, um, but also have new business models built around that as well. So in a nutshell, what is the big data process? Okay. Uh, that's a good question. Um, Just so our, the listeners understand what we're doing, what you're doing. Okay. So I, I think the biggest thing around big data is to start with the question you're trying to answer. Most people start with get all the data. And the challenge of if you go after getting all the data, you don't know if you have the right data. But if you start with the end in mind, again, applying this design thinking point of view to the big data point of view, is how do I create a situation of understanding what am I trying to measure? So many people fall into traps of measuring what they can as opposed to what they should. And the biggest opportunity in big data is to make sure that you start 
with what metrics are we trying to do? What change are we trying to make? What improvements are we trying to really drive in the future? And then how do we start to then gather data around that and do that in a sustainable way to make sure that we have a place to put the data, a place we can get it back quickly, policies and workflows to make sure the quality is there. And then uh, metrics that are based on that so we can understand what those trends are. Are we finding that adoption is going up or going down? Are we finding that consumers are frustrated with different aspects of it? Um, we found that one of the biggest things that was slowing down smart home adoption a couple of years ago was people's frustration in setting up their Wi-Fi networks. You take one of the most hated devices in the home, the router, and I asked people to ask all these, add all these other components to it. And it was a big stumbling block based on trying to understand within all this data, how do we figure out what part to pay attention to? We figure out the one that's based on where the consumers are having problems. And so if I could boil into uh, not a 12-step process, but a, but a five-step process, it's understand the, what you're trying to do with the data, get the data that you need, um, make sure you can actually actualize that data in terms of getting out and do something with it, have metrics that matter to your business about what that data does, and make sure that based on those metrics you can take action that then drives the feedback loop through the entire thing so that you know you're getting what you need from your big data process. So for our uh, audience, one of the, I mean, the thing that's always fascinated uh, me with what John's doing, uh, the work that he's been doing and does, is this whole process of adoption. Uh, People that don't run businesses sometimes don't understand how important adoption is. You you take uh, several years to develop a product, bring it to market, whatever the time is, the cost is. The way you're going to create value is by selling the product. So the question is how quickly will the market pick up on this product? And the faster it picks up on the product, first of all, you're getting revenues and that leads to cash coming into the company. Secondly, if you're a public company or even a private company, it drives up the valuation of the company so the company becomes worth more. Right. So there's a lot of eggs in this basket called adoption. And a lot of entrepreneurs miss this. They think it's uh, build it and they will come. Right. And what you're, what you're doing is offering a solution to help them uh, really drive people to the product. Make sure they got the right product, I guess. Make sure you got the right one from the start. That's where the design piece comes into play. But also make sure you're listening to the market in a way that um – uh, actually gives you real uh, data about what's happening. One of the um, my mentors along the way, Francis Lee, chairman of Synaptic CEO when I was there, used to always tell us sales is a lagging indicator. It's what you've done for people. But you adoptions about what you're going to do for people moving forward. And being able to understand and measure that correctly is absolutely critical to the, to the future success of any enterprise. Well, we need to go to break. We'll hear more from accidental big data scientist, Dr. John Phelan, when we return. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Hi, this is Tom Laurie. Welcome back. We're with the uh, accidental big data scientist, Dr. John Phelan, the CEO of Argus Insights. We're delighted with the response that the show has received. If you've missed any of this show or any previous shows, you can download our podcast by going to our website, thementorsradio.com. That is thementorsradio.com. And remember to subscribe while you're there so you do not miss any future shows. All of the content is available for free. Um, a couple of questions just to go back to the last segment. Um, tell me a little – how does all this fit into AI and uh, 5G? I mean just, just briefly about what the future holds. Sure. So if we were to cast ahead. So 
my first involvement with AI came from my undergraduate at MIT. And that means artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence. Or some people say augmented intelligence. Um, some people think it's the sound that people make when they get scared by it. I, um, when uh, my first involvement was in, with artificial intelligence came with actually working at the MIT Artificial Intelligence Lab when I was an undergrad. And I got a summer job working at Kawasaki Heavy Industries in Japan applying newer network control to grinding robots a thousand years ago. That was, that was 93. Um, anyway, that's enough of a time machine. Fast forward 20 plus years, processors are cheaper, algorithms are better. Uh, and what took me overnight to control a robot to move three inches now happens in milliseconds today and it happens on chip. Um, AI has a chance to change the way we do a lot of things. But what most people don't understand about AI is AI is only good as the data we feed it to train it. And uh, when you look at the places where it's being used, for example, autonomous vehicles, facial recognition, uh, even signature recognition when you do a mobile deposit on your smartphone is using some notion of AI to make sure that's your signature on the check before they deposit it in your your account. Uh, we're seeing it proliferate like crazy across all the products experience that we use. Even when we talk to a smart speaker like Alexa or Google Home, they're using AI in their cloud uh, architectures to listen to what we say and figure out whether I'm asking for a Neil Diamond or John Denver, depending on what my mood is. And that was probably sharing too much. Anyway, um, and so it's it's already everywhere we don't believe it is. And it's going to be other places where we don't think it should be and where we think it should be as well. It has huge problems for medical diagnostics, huge problems for self-driving vehicles, um, et cetera. It goes against a little bit of some of the privacy stuff that comes up from time to time. But it's just it's it's a new tool that's going to be touch all of our lives even more than it is today. You blend that into the 5G, some of which is already starting to roll out. 5G is the latest generation of telecom networks. Most people's phones today use a 4G radio. 5G does even more. But where 5G starts to shift a little bit, it uh, goes to more powerful antennas, more uh, locations. So we end up with higher bandwidth because we can we have more things listening and talking back and forth. And so now things that we normally would just consume, like Netflix, in the comfort of our own home, we can now do on the go with 5G networks. It also provides when you mix 5G and AI together to fuel a lot of this Internet of Things piece where uh, we talk a lot about in AI making decisions based on what's happened in the past. Imagine that uh, a refinery is in the midst of, of trying to figure out whether or not they have a, a pump that's failing. Well, a piece of AI software at the edge of that network can be looking at that pump data. Is it rattling? Is it not? Are there RPMs doing? Is the pressure dropping? Things of that sort. Using that to figure out whether it then needs to reach out to other parts of the network and ask for maintenance help and things of that sort. So our systems become smarter. But part of what fuels that intelligence is when we get so much data, how do we get it back to where we can do something with? And that's where people are really forecasting the 5G network is going to be a big part of making that happen. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We are with big data analytics and design thinking expert, Dr. John Phelan. You call yourself an uh, accidental big data scientist. What was your journey? Oh, my goodness. Uh, where to begin? I'll go back to the beginning. So uh, there's a lot. Turns out one of the pathways to get to Silicon Valley is through uh, a chicken farm in northwest Arkansas. <laughs> And uh, I got a special visa to leave the state when I was in high school and went to MIT for college and studied mechanical engineering because that's what I, I loved. I, I grew up on a farm, loved robotics, fell in love with Star Wars. And uh, in my freshman entrance exam in MIT, I said I wanted to do uh, 
let's see, undergraduate mechanical engineering, uh, a master's in plasma fusion, and then a PhD in space-based robotics. Ah, youth. Uh, along the way, I've, that's not the path I followed. It's been kind of opportunistic. Um, I came out to California uh, at the advice of my undergraduate thesis advisor, uh, Harry West, to come think about Stanford for design and picked up some of the robotic stuff I was excited about, but also learned about uh, not just invention, but how invention becomes an innovation by designing something people actually want to pay money for. And they had the chance to work at uh, IDEO Product Development, um, this great design firm in Palo Alto, where I got to do amazing things with incredible people and really live that empathy piece we talk about design thinking and really kind of realize that uh, invention without considering the customer is really an ego-based exercise for the engineer. And how do you derive that all the way? And to date, I think I'm still the only person ever to leave IDEO for military service because the way a chicken farmer pays for college is that you do an RTC scholarship. So I spent five years in the Air Force working initially with the biggest data of all, the intelligence community, uh, where I uh, did data and sensor fusion um, across multiple satellite assets that I can't talk about because then they'll come get me the black helicopters. Um, and then uh, had the chance to teach design engineering design thinking at the Air Force Academy as the last assignment. And when uh, the chance to come back to the Bay Area came up, I took it in 01, uh, came back to Stanford, and uh, did my Ph.D. trying to connect good design to good business because I maintained my contacts with my friends in the design community. And this is before design thinking was really big, and they were trying to figure out how to convince companies that design was part of adding to the balance sheet, add on the revenue side, not on the cost side. It wasn't a cost center to be minimized. And so developed a set of metrics to try to connect good design and good business and found – And I, I assume it, uh, the path was made easier with by Steve Jobs who oh, yes. really focused on design and yes. changed the world with, with regards to market, use of market research and everything, yes. right? Yeah, because think about it. Jobs is famous for saying no one asked for the iPhone, right? You have to create experiences people want to have a, uh, in their lives because uh, I tend to think of innovation as being a story that consumers want to have a starring role in. And the products and services are all the props to enable them to be a star. And that's the story that Steve told everyone. His superpower was picking the ideas that would tantalize the future in people's minds. And that helped drive a lot of the adoption. As people tried to copy what Apple did, they initially copied all the wrong things. They tried to copy the look of it or the feel of it. Uh, you know, there, there were two touchscreens phones launched in uh, tw- uh, 2007 iPhone that we all know and many people still use today, and the LG Prodophone. Same hardware, almost, same software, almost, same basic technology. From an engineer, same feature sets. To the user, radically different experiences, radically different promises that were kept to the user. Uh, and I've been pulled along that path along the way to try to help other people take advantage of that. Uh, well, I have a, somebody I grew up with, and uh, his brother ran a company in the Valley that produced the first MP3 player. Ah, and that kind of did kind of sort of oh right, and then Jobs came in and changed everything. But they they had the opportunity. Yes, they just never uh, realized it, right? I think part of it is is measuring what matters to the customer. And the early MP3 players were focused on uh, the number of songs. They didn't look at the whole ecosystem. They didn't look at how hard it was to get music on it and how far it's getting music off. Uh, and that's what Apple did. They built an ecosystem around an experience. You start with the experience; everything else falls into place. If you start with a product or with a technology, you're hard-pressed to make it work. Well, we're going to come back in a minute. Uh, this is Tom Laurie. We're going to go to break. We're going to hear more from accidental big data scientist John, Dr. John Phelan when we return. This is Tom Laurie and the Mentors Radio Show. 
And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Lauren. Today I have data analytics and design thinking expert Dr. John Phelan, CEO of Argus Insights, with us. We In the last segment, John, we were talking a little bit about your own journey. Um, who, who inspired you along the way? That's a good question. Um, I'll start with my parents because they sort of actively gave permission to me along the way. They never really discouraged me. I mean, it's – you know, my, my parents planted uh, 40 acres of pine trees thinking that would pay for college. Uh, and turns out the trees didn't grow that far, and I went someplace that pine trees wouldn't pay for. Um, and then I had a really transformative experience uh, in my ninth-grade science teacher, Kathleen Julisher, who was the first to put the bug in my head. You know, maybe you could go to MIT. I'm like, that would be really cool. And I just had people along the way who, who sort of nudged me, encouraged me, and said, well, what, try that. What happens if you, if you fail? It doesn't matter. Might as well give it a shot. So when you come into a room, what do you bring with you? Uh, stories. No. Um, <laughs> energy, enthusiasm, uh, and uh, empathy and excitement for those that are there. Because I've, I've been lucky. I've had some, some, some great experiences in my life. And, and, uh, but in many cases, I'm much more interested in what other people have to share about what they've done, what they want to do. That's what gets me really excited is to – understand other people's dreams and figure out a way if I can help them along the way. And if you could go back and talk to that 16-year-old John Phelan, what would you tell that person today? Today? That's a good question. Um, Keep trying. Uh, It's not going to work out the way you expect, but it will work out better than you could have designed. And how does somebody become data, big data literate? I think uh, a lot of it comes down to starting with what you're trying to do with it. There's uh, a wealth of resources out there around workflows, around um, technologies. It's very easy if you're trying to do big data to fall in love with what the latest tool set is or the latest storage data. I'm going to use Snowflake. I'm going to use Hadoop. I'm going to use all this other alphabet soup of stuff. You need some place to store the data. If you want to get technical in it, you can, but rely on people, experts around you. What's missing a lot of times from big data is what people tend to bring to it when they start is your context, what you know to do, what you're trying to do with the information the data, and everything else will fall into place. But you have to be able to ask those tough questions around, do we need this much data? How much do we really need? Does it have to be that fast or is it this slow? What do you, are you measuring what we can or what we should? This is what we're trying to do. I know this is easy for you to program, but this is what we're really trying to get out of this situation. I think a lot of it around being big data literate is becoming start with the literacy that you have for your context and use that to ask good questions about how to get those answers from the data. Hmm. Great. Now, you've got a new twist to your career. You're doing Argus, but you're also doing some interesting things at Nueva School. I believe there's two of these schools over in here in the Bay Area. Tell us a little bit about Nueva. So Nueva is a, uh, a wonderful place. There, uh, it's a K, pre-K twelve school divided into two campuses. There's a pre-K to eight campus in Hillsborough and a relatively new high school campus in San Mateo uh, and in the Bay Meadows neighborhood um, that's been around for for six years. And they start with this notion of, of kind of a a user centered environment. What makes Nueva very unique is they've been integrating design thinking into their programs from kindergarten 
for the at least the last decade. And it's amazing to see what they've done and how the students start with that mindset of, oh, we can try this. Oh, I'm not worried about failing. Let's do a prototype. Let's actually talk to people. Let's get out of the building. And magic happens when they go on to do other things based on that that strong foundation. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We're with big data analytics and design thinking expert John Phelan. We're talking about his other side, and that's working in uh, education. Now, what – so Nueva is fascinating. And tell us what a day is like in a, for a student at Nueva. What is – I mean, what, what, what makes a difference? I mean, the day, the curriculum, there's something, right? There's, so it's, it's a combination of um, of – Student-guided discovery. I'll give you an example. When we teach electives at Nueva, it's something that's co-designed with the students. It's not what does John want to teach. It's what do the students want to actually learn. So one of the electives I'm teaching this semester is uh, titled Cosplay, Toy Design, and Smart Clothing, an Introduction to Mechatronics. So effectively, it's an Introduction to Electrical Engineering class, but with the design of how to use this to do other cool things in your life. And... Um, when they come into class, it's a lot of learning electrical engineering by feel. We do some math, some equations, but and it's different every day because we teach to the progress of the students in the classroom. Uh, whether it's someone who's never picked up a, a, a soldering iron before, all the way the students who've made their own drones, we teach across all those students. How, how old are these kids? These are uh, ninth through twelfth graders. Okay, and so um, you know ages. Uh, 14 through through 18. And um, because of that, I, I, I tease, I taught a fabrication class where students bring their own projects last semester. And of my 15 students in the class, it was like teaching 17 classes at once. Because whether it was a student building his own snowboard, another student trying to build his own 3D printer, another student, she made her own internet-connected freshwater fris- uh, shrimp tank. It's all around how do you guide them on their own journey. So for a student... There's class periods, but each class is almost a customized learning journey. That's uh, where teachers we act almost more like coaches than sage on stage. I'm going to lecture to you today, and that allows the students to take more responsibility for their learning. One, so it helps stimulate that lifelong learning, that intrinsic motivation. Um, but it also it's actually more fun to teach that way too, because then you get to tie into the sparks of all of their. Uh, interest in, and, and passions. And how are these students done as far as going on to college? How are they done further down the road? Uh, well, we've only had two classes to graduate. The third class is getting their, their acceptances right now, but they've done very, very, very well. I encourage you to check out the website. They published the details on it. They've gotten to, into top schools around the nation. And um, what we hear coming when they come back to visit, because they all do, that's part of the fun is, is having old home week where, oh, yeah, I decided to come back to school and hang out with teachers and students. I'm, when does that ever happen in school today? I never did that. Um, and it's because they want to share stories about how the Nueva experience has prepared them for college or things they've learned along the way to bring back in. Oh, have you guys thought about doing this in class? Because this was so cool. Um, it's, uh, it's been amazing. How did, how did you get involved? So part of the reason I started Argus was to try to generate enough free cash flow to start a school. And some of the people uh, generate enough um, revenue to, to, to start a school. And part of the uh, – I found out from the IDO alumni network that they were hiring for a teacher. I'm like, what is this place? And found out that colleagues of mine from IDO and grad school had their students there. Started asking them. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. They've already done all the heavy lifting. Can I just come help and teach here? 
and they saw fit to give me a position, and it's been joyous day ever since. So wearing, you know, two hats at once, carrying Argus and Nueva at the same time is a challenge, but it's worth every blood, sweat, and tear because I love it. And is it highly selective for students to get in? It is. It is. Um, they they go through the kind of classic private school SSAT, but then they do other pieces to make sure that it's not just academic performance, but also to understand how these students are at uh, handling the ambiguity that we offer students. Not every student can handle uh, or wants to handle, honestly, the ability to kind of design their own learning journey with the, joy, with the um, openness that we have at Nueva. And do you draw from various income groups? We do. Uh, over 40% of Nueva students receive some sort of financial aid to go to school there. Mm. Well, we need to go to break, and when we return, we'll hear more about data from the accidental data scientist, Dr. John Phelan. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Lawrence. and today I have data analytics and design thinking expert, Dr. John Phelan, the CEO of Argus Insights. Uh, if you uh, go to our, our website, please like us on, on Facebook. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. You'll find all of our show notes and links we will put a link on Nueva School for you. That's thementorsradio.com. Let's get into a little bit more about you and the fundamentals that you live by. What are your, you believe, are your gifts and your talents? Now, you've talked a lot about some of the things that you do, but what are your gifts and talents? Really bad puns, my daughters will tell you. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think part of it is it's being able to to take something that's very complex and try to explain that in multiple different ways until I can engage with the target listener in a way that they're like, oh, that makes sense. Um, and so some of it's a teaching piece, some of it's a marketing piece. It's it's, it's storytelling around that. Um, the other piece is, I think uh, I just see the world differently. I because I've lived across so many different contexts and continents, as the case may be. Um, my ability to move laterally or connect the dots across things can help break log jams when people are trying to think of solutions or come up with something new. Um, and I think the last one is I just I care about people and in an authentic way. And so uh, I think when you're working with others, when you when you demonstrate and show that care, that just makes everything kind of work better. Because um, I think that you know we. We all need to just care a little bit more. And are you a reader? Do you read a lot? Oh, voraciously. What, what, are, what types of things inspire you? Oh, my goodness. It's a mix of, of science fiction, thinking about new things, but also um, business literature, things around mindfulness. I mean, what am I reading right now? Uh, monetizing innovation about willingness to pay, uh, thinking in systems because I did a class in systems thinking earlier today. Going back to Peter Senge's um, fifth discipline, because I'm trying to figure out, can we take design thinking and systems thinking and blend it in new ways to change policies or organizations? Um, things around OKRs, uh, sales strategy, because I still don't have my sales merit badge, huh. um, as well as uh, things around um, 
the more the fundamentals of teaching and, and parenting and things of that sort too. It's just a, a bunch of different things. I'm curious. And so I'll go dive deep. Like I, we're taking a bunch of students to Peru in a couple of weeks. And so I spent several hours this weekend uh, digging on Incan traditional weaving techniques. What enslaves you? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Um, my curiosity sometimes because it can be a little squirrel distracting at times and uh, means it's, it's hard to focus because I can always move too far. And so that curiosity and lack of focus sometimes means I can imagine an outcome and sometimes that's enough for me rather than following all the way through. What would you like your tombstone to say? Well, that's all, folks. Uh, <laughs> um, be kind and curious. He sure was. And you've met a lot of people and all your different things that you've done. When you think about the people that you've met over the course of your lifetime, what are the attributes of those who you found really have found happiness and joy in this life? I think one of the biggest things is, is um, those that are present. Those are that are, are uh, those people that are thinking too far ahead or too far behind. Um, I think sometimes can get trapped in that past or future. And I find that those people that are present um, enjoy what they have more, and uh, are also more mindful about what they want to do next because um, they're enjoying the journey. And I think a lot of that joy comes from enjoying the big and little things that come at us every day, uh, realizing that who knows what tomorrow's going to bring. Um, and if I spend too much time thinking about next month or next year, uh, I may miss some of the opportunities that are passing me by right now. That's great. Well, we're out of time. I've certainly enjoyed having you with us today. We've been talking to accidental big data scientist, Dr. John Phelan, the CEO of Argus Insights and a mentor teacher at the Nueva School. Thank you, John, for sharing your precious time and insights on the use and future of data in our life and the career uh, with us and my audience. And remember, if you've tuned in late, you can listen to this and past shows by downloading podcasts by going to our website, thementorsradio.com. That's thementorsradio.com. When you're there, make sure make it easy for yourself and subscribe to future shows. Thank you for listening, and we will be back next weekend at this time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember to be all that you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.